knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. At Midway USA, we know the AR-15 is one of the most popular rifles in modern American history. Known for its modularity and widespread use, it's often considered essential to any gun collection. The essential things you need to run an AR-15 are usually always in stock during shortages, things like magazines and 5.56 ammo. Whether you're looking to buy a new AR-15 or buy parts for your modern sporting rifle, log on and for just about everything for the outdoors, shop MidwayUSA.com. You're listening to the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast, where when you can't be in the outdoors, we bring it to you. Welcome back to another episode of the Chasing Tales Outdoor Podcast. My name is Walt, his name is Chase, and our goal is real simple. Each and every week we try and bring you content about the outdoors when you can't be in the outdoors. So uh, this episode is fun. I, I-, I owe Chase an apology because uh, the Tonight's guest, uh, today's guest, and I thoroughly dominated that conversation. I don't feel like I gave you an ounce, <laughs> an ounce of room in that dialogue, man, and I apologize. Oh, man, it ain't no big deal. Uh, <laughs> some of the stuff he was talking about, it was better for me to just listen and take it all in than to try to have input on it and uh, have to go back and listen to it again. Um, he, he mentioned a lot of important things just about being – uh, instead of just worrying about how many turkeys you're going to kill is thinking about, okay, should I kill that many turkeys? Um, what is this going to do to, uh, our, what a lot of people like to call is our renewable resources. So we want to keep turkey hunting as a renewable resource. And I think he di- dove into that uh, a lot. Yeah, he did. He did. Um, it, it was a good conversation. I think Locke's point is, is to, to make sure that the door to, to a conversation about if turkey hunting can sustain tomorrow is always a good one to have, right? And I and I encourage everybody to have that 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 discussion and and entertain new ideas and 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 be willing to adapt as things go on because the last thing we want is turkey hunting to to dwindle. But uh, never fear, we actually we tell some stories on this podcast as well. We answer a question that I've gotten a lot here real recently uh, from a lot of people regarding turkey hunting. So it's not all. Uh, a serious conversation. In fact, I'd say probably the majority of it isn't all serious, but uh, we're going to, it's a long episode, so we're going to keep this intro pretty short. So we want to thank the people who make this episode possible. First and foremost, that's Patreon. If you don't know what Patreon is, for 15 cents a day, you can support the podcast. Uh, that money goes right into production costs, it goes into hosting fees, gas. Everything that helps us do more. We are always going to do this podcast no matter what happens. But if you want to see us do more, if you want to see us evolve and and bring you more content, Patreon lets us do that. So we appreciate each and everybody, each and every one, I should say, who signs up for Patreon. And uh, Chase, I think we should keep this one real short and send them on to the dialogue. Yeah, let's get on to the episode with Locke. Locke Wheeler is, is, is gracing us with his presence. I, I've made this joke twice since I called him, but I'm going to do it for the third time. He stepped away from a fresh pot of chili to have this podcast. So if you're sitting there right now trying to understand how important this is, he loves you more than he does his chili. So, you know, buddy. I, that's I, a that's a strong way to put it. 
<laughs> Maybe it's I, uh, a bit overkill. That's my middle name. <laughs> well, I, I reached a point. I reached a point in my prep where it just needs to be tended and stirred while it while it uh, simmers and soaks up all that goodness. And I figured I could handle the stirring duties every ten or fifteen minutes while I talk to y'all. So, you know. Here fair, we are. Is, is a fair time to step away. There, <laughs> there you go. Well, is it turkey chili? The I don't know if you guys seen this meme that went around on on, on Facebook on the internet last week, and it's it's the uh, I can't think of his name, even though I love these movies, but it's it's one of the guys from Game of Thrones, and um, he's got the furs on, is like a you know medieval looking <laughs> guy. He's got the serious look on his face, <laughs> and it says winter is coming, all at once in one. <laughs> so we're we're now in the middle of that and i was going to go to the grocery store because it's iced in for a day or two and everything's closed and i was like yeah i made a good deer chili yet this year and that is the perfect iced in weather food so yeah all about some packs of ground deer and putting together a little chili Heck yeah, man. Well, I'm envious. I, uh, I pulled to the top my last turkey breast from last year, that I, and uh, it's at the top of the, the chest freezer so that I know, uh, I think the week before turkey season, I'm going to bust it out, and I'm either going to smoke it, or um, I, I saved one of last year's magazines from NWTF. It's the, it's the Beak Breaker Burger or something like that, and, and I've been meaning to make that recipe, and so uh, I'm going to do one of those two things right before turkey season kicks off. Well, I, you know, like a year or so ago, I was uh, of one of these keto carb style diets, and um, I came across some recipes for doing some different things with ground turkey. So I actually bought a small grinder because I, I didn't have a meat grinder before that. Just for the sake, I had several turkey uh, breasts cleaned and ready to something to be done with and i'm like hey, you know what what kind of meat what can i do differently because you get in these keto and these carb things and you know you're eating deer meat and you're eating beef and chicken and bacon and eggs and stuff like that and it's like i need to break the monotony a little bit you know and i found some ground turkey recipes where i was making like um almost like hamburger steaks but out of out of turkey i was taking turkey breast and grinding them up and making these patties that I was, you know, mixing with some green onions, scallions, and different things like that. And man, if you if you have some turkey breast, um, grind that stuff up and doing a lot of the same stuff that you do with red meat, you can do a lot of really good stuff with turkey breast. And it's a big chunk of meat, so you get a pretty mm-hmm. good, you know, helping of ground meat, and you can do a lot with it. it tastes really good. I've never actually done it in chili, but it, I bet it would be really good. Well, maybe that's what I'm going to do. Maybe I'm going to kick off this year with a big old vat of turkey chili. Of course, it won't be cold by the time I make that vat, or at least I hope it's not, because if it is, that's really going to screw yeah. with the turkey hunting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. In, in case you haven't noticed, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking turkey. We are kicking off the season uh, today with, with a, a couple fun dialogues. Um, we, we were chatting for, man, I think probably close to 20 minutes, 20, 30 minutes before we hit record. And Locke said maybe maybe we should start recording before we say all this twice. But uh, <laughs> we, we, we've got some fun things lined up. Um, actually, we're going we're gonna to kind of catch up with him on where his turkey season went last year uh, and, and then move through some listener-submitted questions that have popped up recently in my feed. And then uh, we, we've got a fun – 
closing dialogue for you guys. So, Locke, what what happened? I mean, we talked turkey with you last year, and then and then you you scrambled all over the Continental Forty Eight uh, chasing birds. How'd it go? Well, unfortunately, I really didn't <laughs> scramble all over the Continental Forty Eight because of COVID. Um, <laughs> That's kind of the story. Last year, <laughs> yeah, that just bury the lead here a little bit. Why don't we? Um, that you know that was a lot of what we talked about heading into last year and had all these plans. Like I'm sure a lot of people did for, for the springtime and, and making a schedule. And not only was travel a big problem, but a lot of States shut down license sales because they didn't want people traveling. And, and so my season really got really hampered in that regard. I still was able to go and hunt in Kansas and Missouri and Missouri didn't shut down the license sales. Kansas did, but I, I purchased my tag before Kansas shut down their license sales. So um, a lot of the states would, if you had it, you could hunt with it, but they didn't sell anymore after a certain point. And um, so that kind of changed things. My Texas trip got canceled. My I, I actually went over into Nebraska and hunted with someone who had a tag that was purchased before they shut it down but I didn't get to hunt Nebraska, uh, Arkansas, Alabama, a lot of these States that I was going to try to, to make hunts in, I didn't get to. So I, I still got to hunt a lot because like a lot of people, I had a lot of free time or more or less free time working from home. I had more, more flexibility, but with that, you know, you're also kind of limited. Uh, I'm, I'm one of these people that I don't have, a huge track of private property with a ton of turkeys locally because I travel so much. I just don't invest in it that much. And, um, so I kind of had to gauge my hunting and not over hunt places because I'm hunting the same places a lot because I wasn't on the road as, as much. Normally, like I said, I'll ha I have a couple places and I don't hunt them that much because I'm gone a lot. So I'll hunt them when I'm home and, and it, it kind of takes care of itself. So, you know, it was a tough season. Um, I don't hunt a lot of public land, especially at home, because it's it's pretty crowded. And it was even more crowded with the, the increased hunter participation numbers because of COVID and people off work and people laid off of work and people have nothing to do but hunt. And so I scratched the public land right off pretty quickly. And so, you know, I mean, I was successful in, in that I was able to, I guess, kill. I didn't kill but one turkey, but I don't ever kill that many turkeys. I do more guiding, filming, and calling, and and had good hunts with my son. He killed one bird, and he messed up on a couple. I mean, he's 11 years old, you know, so it's always a, kind of a challenge with, with kids. But learned some lessons and had some exciting hunts with him, and I, I kind of shut down on my private stuff and just dedicated that to him because I wasn't going to kill more than one or two birds off of those places anyway, and and um was able to to do pretty good in missouri and nebraska hunting with some other guys and filled my kansas tag and so you know all in all i, I had a lot of good hunts but it was a, it was a difficult and challenging spring just more due to the not knowing what was coming not able to plan and kind of being thrust into just kind of hunting wherever you can whenever you can and and there was a lot of pressure everywhere you went, even private land. I mean, even all around, there were more 
there was more hunting pressure around the places that I hunt regularly just because of increased numbers. And I know that's a trend that everybody saw all across, all across the, the country. So I, you know, I, I don't have a great feeling about it all, but I mean, all in all, I do, I know some people that, that had really good springs, you know, hunted a lot and had a lot of time to hunt and stuff like that. So I don't know. We'll see what that translates to, but as far as my spring goes, I, I can't complain. I saw, um, pretty much not what I'm accustomed to in terms of historically, you know, I come from a turkey hunting background and I come from an area of the country where it's got a rich turkey hunting heritage. Numbers have been down for quite a few years and I didn't really see any change in that this past year. I didn't see necessarily a further drop off, but I didn't see an in- increase. I saw much more of the same, which I'm hoping that that starts to rebound some because it's been down for quite some time. On a positive note, and, and I'm speaking about Louisiana and Mississippi, just to be clear for people that are listening, I live just north of Baton Rouge and I'm from southwest Mississippi. So I'm talking about that whole, you know, central Louisiana, southwestern Mississippi area. Um, once summertime rolled around, I will say that in my just local area of the world, I I talked to a lot of people and saw a lot of pictures and a lot of a lot of reports of people seeing really good hatches and a lot of uh, a lot of hens with large groups of poults that had made it to the, to the stage in which they could actually fly up in the tree, which is a big big step to their recruitment into the flock as adults. And so those were positive things I heard over the summer, you know, and that offset some of the negative things I heard about the harvest numbers and general. Uh, just general survey of, of overall numbers in the spring. Yeah, I, I know I've seen a boatload of uh, of turkeys here this year, including um, including a lot of poults. When I was after season doing a lot of scouting, they were they were running around a fair amount. Um, I think I think some areas, I'm sure others didn't fare quite as nicely, but at least in my area where there's a lot of fresh bird and a lot of good diversity of habitat. Um, a lot of food to support them. It seems like uh, there was a good recruitment of this upcoming year. Um, I'm I'm new to this, so I don't know what a good recruitment looks like or not, but it seemed like there was an awful lot of young turkeys running around. Yeah, one of the things that I don't hear talked about a lot, and maybe it's because it's more of a local thing, is uh, I'm, I'm along the Mississippi River Basin, you know, runs down through here, and – I don't guess it's much of a secret to anybody that over the last five, six years, the Mississippi River has been out of its banks with severe flooding in the spring and summer or a winter into the spring and summer for way too many, three, four of the last five or six years. And because of that, not only do you have a lot of issues with where the turkeys that, that live in the, in the bottomlands and in the basins, but we've had this humongous increase of the bull gnats or buffalo gnats. Um, I don't know if y'all are real familiar with that over further east, no. but these th- these are the, the the larger black biting gnats, and they are it's insane. And they kill chickens on a regular basis. They're a what? major problem for for yeah. They get all in their beaks and all in their in their sinuses and they choke them to death basically. And these things are so bad, like in the middle of turkey season down here, that like you cannot. You, like it, it'll drive you crazy i mean they'll just it'll be just they'll just swarm you especially if you're in any kind of tall grass or 
you know, it seems like they stay in the grass. So any kind of the areas that the turkeys get out in and chase bugs and kind of feed around, the gnats will just drive them crazy. And you'll see, they'll be walking through the woods and they'll just, I mean, the gnat, they'll just be a swarm of gnats around their head. And I, I haven't heard the biologist talk about this, but it is inherently a problem in our area. And everybody I've talked to who I trust their opinions say that that Mississippi River, that, that water that's being held in the basin and in the, in the bottomlands and stuff is, is one of the reasons why we have such an increase of gnats. And I'll just say that when you know of just about every neighbor you have is losing a tremendous number of chickens in the spring, you right. can bet they're killing turkeys too. Yeah. You know, um, and I can tell you I have witnessed in the wild, I have witnessed turkeys being harassed by gnats during the turkey season over the last couple of years. And it, I mean, so it goes without saying that it's an issue. And I mean, it's an issue that'll drive you out of the woods. You can't hunt for them. I mean, Gosh. you have to constantly, you have to wear a mask all the time. You have to spray down with vanilla. I mean, you can't use off, none, that, none of that works. Like vanilla extract will, will, will help, but they're really bad on the turkeys. That's something that, like I said, there's a lot of turkey research going on these days that you know, has a lot to do with hunter participation and habitat management and loss of habitat and all that kind of stuff. But this gnat thing in our area of the world is, to me, another, just another challenge that the turkeys are facing, and it's no doubt having having an effect because one of the places that, that I primarily hunt, kind of in my, my family's homeland area, is just up on the bluffs above the river bottoms in Mississippi. And uh, the gnats are so bad that it's just, you know, once you get to the second week of April or so, like, it's just, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just, it's, it's, it's unmanageable. Hmm. You're really selling me on hmm. coming to Louisiana. Well, it hadn't always been like this. I mean, it's, it's like I said, over the last five or six years, it's gotten notably worse hmm. uh, in, the, in the late spring and early summer. Now, once it gets, they say once it gets to, I want to say 90 or 90 degrees. Once you get a few days where it stays around 90 degrees, that it kind of kills them off. It, they really thrive in that that spring weather where it's cool enough in the mornings and it doesn't get excessively hot. But one, you know, it take you got to get into the summer where the temperature gets up and stays up and stays hot enough to kind of burn them off, so to speak. And so, really, during the primary part of the turkey season in the South, they get pretty bad. And it's uh, it's been kind of an issue that I'd like to see somebody with more education and scientific ability look into it and see what kind of effect it might be having. Because there's, I, I, you couldn't convince me that it's not having some effect because it's, I know it's having a big effect on, like I said, on chickens and and domestic turkeys and farm, you know, farm animals like that. So, got to be affecting wild turkey too. For sure. Well, I think there's a lot of a lot of things that are probably affecting the wild turkey right now. Um, you and I talked about this um, offline. In fact, why don't we push the listener questions off since this is a good segue into this, this conversation. We'll, we'll end the conversation with the, uh, the fun tactics part. Um, okay. I, I think, you know, last year we ended the, the, the turkey season with a, a DIY, or I'm sorry, with, with the DIY uh, hunter boys, uh, Preston and Jack. And we kind of, 
kind of uh, tackled two big questions. One, how do we recruit more uh, turkey hunters? Because it's never a bad thing to have more hunters on the landscape. That's that's more dollars for conservation. That's that's potentially more public lands or, or just, just votes in general. I mean, however you want to look at it, I don't think it's a bad thing. Um, and we, we kind of kind of thought about what could have been with the opportunity with COVID and schools being shut down to get more people, more youths or, or, or early, uh, you know, early onset hunters that are, uh, you know, could, could have been introduced, but we, we ended it with kind of a, a, an era concern, right? Like maybe a question of, you know, do we need to come back and reassess turkey populations as a whole? Because, uh, you know, certain states, um, hammered birds in, in a big way. Um, and, and, and we've talked offline that the birds that you shoot matter, which birds that you shoot matter. Um, and, and, and I kind of want to kind of pick your brain because uh, this is kind of a bold thing to say, but, you know, state of the union, is it is the, tur- the state of the turkey hunting union strong in your mind? I mean, what 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 keeps you up at night when you think about turkeys and the future of turkeys? Well, well if you put it like state of the union, um, I'll say that from an industry perspective – from a popularity of the sport perspective, sure. turkey hunting is really good because a lot of people want to do it. It's popular. It's gaining, you know, the NWTF as an organization has become popular. Their events are very popular. They attract a lot of outdoors minded people and have gotten a lot more people into the sport that and outdoor media, um, you know, just the increased availability of entertainment media with streaming and YouTube type punt exposes the sport to more people and um so from a perspective of of an from an industry and, and i would i guess i would say economics uh, it, would, it would appear that the sport is in a really good place the challenge to that is is the state of the union of turkey hunting as it pertains to science and actual conservation and turkey numbers um it's documented fact as we sit in 2021, that there's only one or two states in the in, in in all of the states that have a huntable population in turkey. And there's only one or two states that have stable or growing turkey numbers. Every other state is on a decline, and most of those states are on a very notable decline. Uh, that's not my opinion. That is, you can find those facts in numerous podcasts and numerous. Um, uh, articles and, you know, different resources from biologists, from University of Georgia, from Louisiana State University, from the NWTF, et cetera. Um, you see this coming into play where three states that come to mind very directly are Louisiana, Arkansas, and Kansas. All three of those states have over the last couple of years, Louisiana, I think, is going into year three, Kansas, just started last year in Arkansas five or six years into serious changes to their seasons. They've cut back on either bag limits, tags, and or hunt dates. Um, Kansas went from two tags to one tag in the large majority of the state. Uh, Basically there's only small areas in West. I want to say West and maybe Northwest part of Kansas where you can still get two tags. That's non-resident or resident. You can only kill one turkey in Kansas. Um, Arkansas cut their season in half and lowered their bag limit years ago. And there's only 
I, I don't I don't want to lie because I don't know for sure what the dates are, but I know I used to hunt in Arkansas and their dates were somewhat paralleled with the other southern states and now there's only like two or three weeks of turkey season in Arkansas. And I, I think that they cut back on the the total harvest number per hunter. Louisiana cut their season in half and moved it way back. Um, as opposed to the other southern states, you can't even hunt turkeys in March in Louisiana anymore. I think there's a youth hunt like a two-day youth hunt the last weekend of March. But as far as the full season, it doesn't even open until April anymore. Um, and all of the neighboring states, with the exception of Arkansas, their seasons open in March. And Louisiana was that way for years and years. I have the pleasure, I guess, of living in a community with two retired biologists from the state of Louisiana who've been involved in this and some of this decision making as well over the past decade or so and have had a lot of conversations with them and and you know their thought their reasoning behind what louisiana did was first off first off you have a tremendous amount of habitat loss and it's it's more complicated than to just pin it on one thing um the turkey requires a much much larger area of unfragmented land in order to not just survive but to thrive and maintain its population and basically live its life so you know the detractor would say well you know turkeys on 100 acres you do right now but if you keep hunting them you probably won't because they require more than that and if you and in louisiana you you have a lot of habitat just by nature about the wetlands and the marshes up that aren't sustainable habitat for turkeys and then you have a lot of growing metropolitan areas and you have a lot of movement out of the suburbs into the countryside and you're fragmenting a lot of land and it's cutting back on their habitat. Um, that's, that's a big issue for the turkey. But what they did with the season was they said, look, I mean, here's the issue. A two-year-old gobbler that starts gobbling in March, it, it, we know based on science, that bird's never reproduced. It's his first year to be able to reproduce, like legitimately be successful. I'm sure people have watched Jake's try to breed hens and, and act like they're, they're toms, but they, they, they physically, by and large, they can't. So um, also with the studies, they, they have breed surveys, and, and um, they, they know when the turkeys are nesting. They know when they're actually gobbling uh, or actually breeding as opposed to when they're, they're gobbling and strutting. And they start gobbling and strutting a long time before they actually breed. And so it's kind of a wise tale for a lot of turkey hunters. We ride around in late February and early March, and we see these birds strutting with hens, and we hear them gobbling, and we think, oh, well, they're, they're, they're breeding, you know, well, but they're not. Because a hen takes a long time to choose the gobbler she's going to breed with. And they spend a long time strutting and gobbling and doing their whole courtship thing before she actually decides who she's going to breed with. And so – these seasons are opening up in March and the most eligible bachelor is that two-year-old that doesn't have a lot of experience with hunters. He's never bred before and he's up there gobbling his head off and he's ready to strut around and hope a hen will choose him at some point in the spring. And we're coming in there in the middle of that process and we're whacking them because they're easy to kill. And that Turkey is a negative one. He's a minus one because you just look at very, a very logical approach to it. If you have an animal that's recruited into the adult flock and he never reproduces any offspring to replace himself, once he's killed, he's minus one. 
that's pretty pretty easy math, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, you know, uh, it, it's it's pretty simple. Is you sustain population and you grow population by killing off mature animals who have replaced themselves in the flock with other offspring that are going to grow to adult maturity. So their pushback of the season had a lot to do with we need to let these two-year-olds at least live to the point that they can breed, potentially breed, and replace themselves before we're killing them. We're killing way too many of them too early. And it's had a positive effect. Um, the turkey population's rebounding in a lot of areas. Now the hunters aren't happy about it because the casual turkey hunter, it, it, it's hard. It's a lot harder to kill a turkey in April than it is in March mm-hmm. in the south. Um, and there's not as much gobbling. Um, all of those things make, make the hunting more difficult and hasn't been received all that well in the community by a lot of people. And there's a lot of areas of, of the state that border up to you know the far reaches of the state where they don't really have the same problem as maybe some of the more challenged areas, and they're stuck with the same regulations. But, yeah, uh, you know, it kind of is what it is. Um, that's some of the reasons why they're doing that. And um, it's having a positive effect. And then I think kind of going back to what I just said, those aren't just Louisiana turkeys. All turkeys act that way. And so I think when you hear somebody – I've heard a lot of people in Kansas be like, this is – like, why are they doing this? There's turkeys everywhere, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, they're being preemptive. And the truth of it is what I've experienced – you know, I'm 39 years old, and I've been turkey hunting since I was about 10 – you know, so I'm going on somewhere around 25, 26 springs of turkey hunting now. And I've seen it from as good as it can get to what I consider being as bad as it can get and still actually have turkeys in different areas. And in my opinion, if you're not hearing and seeing a lot more turkeys than you're killing, then it's a pretty good benchmark because the way the turkey <laughs> I, operates. I like that. <laughs> well, I, it, I mean, obviously that makes for good hunting. That makes for exciting hunting. But the truth of it is, a hen doesn't just breed with any gobbler that'll gobble and strut. She only breeds with one bird, you know. And if that bird gets killed, it might she may not breed. And that's a documented fact. She might she may court with another gobbler long enough to eventually breed. And then the whole complicating factor of the the volatility and the high mortality rate of of nests and poults anyway, you know, you need as many hens being bred as possible. And so you need a lot of turkeys. You need a lot of turkeys. Hunting an area and you're hearing one or two turkeys and you got several buddies that hunt that lease or whatever and you're killing every gobble and turkey on it, it won't be long before you won't be turkey hunting that place anymore. Because you just it just it, it don't work that way. You know, and so my opinion, I, I applaud Kansas because they need to have a lot of gobblers. There needs to be a lot of gobblers. The way they're birds and the way they interact, the way they breed. The, the way that they do, you, you can't just kill every turkey that's gobbling and assume that the hens are all just going to jump to the next strutter and, and all get bred and it's all going to be good. It just don't work that way, man. And what, it's, uh, what a stark, what a stark contrast, right? Like, cause it, whitetail deer don't give a damn. Doe get bred by a spike right. while two bucks are sitting over there fighting. I, I never would have considered mm-hmm. the, the concept that, you know, you know, birds, which court each other a little bit differently, uh, w- yep. would be more, more prone to go after you know that the idea that a hen would just go unbred i never would have crossed my mind well and the other problem is the timing of it if she does go late into the spring after the season right um 
and she does eventually get bred. That's still very problematic because there is a set there's a there's a time in the seasons in the nature where the the, the nesting habitat is not good for her once it gets too much into the summer. Her nest is a whole lot more likely to be to be uh, a victim of snakes and predation and bugs and the nesting habitat is too green, too thick, just all kind of different things change and it you know nature the way it was intended they do what they do when they do it for a reason. So if you have a lot of hens even if they are eventually getting through the courtship process in the middle of all the hunting pressure and they are getting bred and they're laying nest a month later than 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 they really should be then you're having a higher loss of of nesting because of that. Um, those are other things. There's a lot, a lot of what I'm saying is a regurgitation. I'm not a biologist. I'm not a science, but I have a scientist, but I have made it, uh, definitely piqued my interest and have made a a concerted effort to, to take in a lot of the stuff. If you look up Dr. Michael Chamberlain, you look up Dr. Brett Collier from LSU, Dr. Chamberlain's from the university of Georgia and other biologists who I'm not going to try to accidentally mispronounce or or misspeak but there's a lot of biology and a lot of science happening and these things are documented i'm not just making them up they're not just things that i theories that i have off of things i observe they're they're out there there's podcasts and there's articles and there's conversations happening all across the community where these things um a lot of the different testing that they've been doing over the last decade has brought a lot of new things to light and um you know i guess you asked me when we when we talked about doing this podcast and what we were going to talk about and things like that, and we talked a lot about a lot of new hunters asking you questions and a lot of what you want to bring to your podcast is education and information for new hunters. And and I said, by all means, let's talk about some of those things as they pertain to the fun stuff, the tips, the tactics, and that kind of stuff. That's all great. But I think that it's very important that as stewards of conservation, that one of the things that's just as important as you learn and when to call and how to approach a different scenario that you end up in in a hunt it's also important for you to understand the game that you're hunting understand the the conservation efforts that are taking place and why they're taking place so that you know the bird that you're hunting and you're not you know in in a in a very innocent way being kind of reckless because you don't really understand how to manage the property that maybe you've decided to start turkey hunting and and those kind of things. So I, I think these conversations are really important because I've said it before and I'm part of it, man. I mean, people that have followed me off of your podcast or other stuff that I do, I mean, I'm in the outdoor media space. I create hunting films and commercials and outdoor media, but what outdoor media shows you is a, a very excited approach to, you know, can't stop the flop king of spring get out mm-hmm. there and chase mm-hmm. them and really hunt them down while you have a chance and that's all fun and part of it but it's got to be measured because we can't just we can't just go on a on a killing spree and that's some of that's what's been happening as turkey hunting has risen in popularity um we see a culture developing of hit the road in early March and kill as many turkeys as we can until they close all the seasons up. And I don't know that that's really the best culture for us to be developing as we educate new hunters into the sport. That's the heavy part of this conversation. And, and I I think we shouldn't belabor that too much. I think this is an ongoing conversation. I'm interested to hear from people. My only advocacy in this is let's have a conversation, right? Like if we can find a way that, that solves this long-term and it doesn't, and, and you can shoot Jake's every day, 
so be it. You know, I, I know there are plenty of uh, articles out there that say shooting Jake's is is fine, and I think in the end, let's come together as a community. Let's 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 have open dialogues and 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 see if we can't find a way to to make sure that this thing that we adore, especially myself, I I, I live for the the next five weeks that I've got coming. Um, let's make sure that that's there for our grandkids and beyond because that's that's the core tenant of who we are. So with that being said, talking about the biology of a turkey, one of the questions I'm getting a lot of, and I think it's from new turkey hunters who uh, maybe don't understand the biology of how things happen in the spring, is they, they keep asking me about hung up birds. What do I do about a hung up bird? Um, what can you briefly give everybody uh, who's new to turkey hunting without boring everybody else why birds may get hung up biologically? Well, I think the best way to approach that topic is to is to maybe segregate it into a couple of different possibilities as to why a turkey might be hung up. Because there's not one reason. I mean, obviously, maybe that's... I'm saying something very obvious there, and, and you, you all probably knew there's not one reason. But um, looking at it a couple of different ways. So there's, from my perspective and my experience, what I'm going to tell you is, let's say two or three main things. One, the turkeys with hens, and from a bio, biology standpoint, from a, you know what this animal is and how God made him, you know, a turkey's goal is to be big and boisterous and gobble and attract hens to him so that you know as a turkey hunter what we're doing is kind of the opposite of how god designed them we're trying to convince that turkey to come to us and his instincts are to strut around and gobble and attract hens to him and make himself appear to be the most eligible bachelor so one of the most common issues that you have when a turkey's hung up is he's the only bird around that you really hear, but he's probably not the only bird around. He's probably got other birds with him, and there are probably hens there. And he's gobbling, and he's responding to you because he's basically saying, well, hey, why don't you come over here? You know, And he's not going to leave the real thing. Uh, he's probably with hens that he's been with since before the season started. He probably flies down and struts around with those hens as long as they'll tolerate him every day until he breeds them. And so um, this is probably a daily routine for him. So if you stumbled along in the dark and you heard him gobbling and you got in there as close as you thought you should and you set up and you start calling to him and he's like, oh, look, you know, this is it. this is Groundhog Day for me, except there's a new lady in town, you know, and she's over there and she sounds great. But these four or five ladies that I've been trying to convince to, to, to breed with me for the last three weeks, they're still right over here. So I'm going to sit here and try to get this one to join up with us, you know. And so I think that's probably the most common thing that people experience is they don't, especially a new turkey hunter that isn't, I guess, doesn't have the experience to, to read the woods and try to figure this out. They think, well... You know, I saw him strutting over there for just a second, and I didn't see any other turkeys. I don't hear any hens, that kind of thing. The hens aren't always that vocal. And so probably when that happens, he's with a hen, and if he's not directly with her, he knows that she's right there somewhere, and he's just not leaving that harem that he's 
kind of locked in with to come to a strange call, even if it's interesting to him and he's responding to it. Right. So you're, you're, you're chasing a world record, Tom. He's just, his, his beard drags behind him and two Jakes pick it up and, and walk with him everywhere he goes. He's hung up outside of range. I mean, I know the very, the, the, the scenarios can, can vary, but what, what general tactics would you employ in those kind of scenarios? So I guess we didn't get into too much. The, the other, the, the, another thing that might be, you can see the Turkey and sure. you're fairly confident that there's not, I mean, he's just hung up. He's 80 yards away and he won't come any closer. Um, in that scenario, your setup's not everything that he needs to see and he doesn't see what he's hearing and he hasn't given up on it necessarily. Cause he keeps hearing it and sounds good, but, um, he's like, well, I mean, I hear you over there, but I don't see you. So two different, you know, given those two likely common scenarios of a hung up bird, one thing I always like to do, we'll, 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 we'll come at it from, from the second first, you always want to set up into a, a I want to try to set up in a situation where the turkey is really, if not in gun range, very, very, very close to gun range before he can really see the area that I'm calling from. Same thing, and same thing can be said for decoys. I don't want him to see my decoy until he's so close that all he's really got to do is just kind of strut right on in there to the decoy. And I mean like 50, 60 yards. You know, I want to come around a curve or come over a hill or whatever so that I don't want him to pop out on the end of an open hardwood ridge that he can see 100 yards up and down. And I'm hidden well, but he can see all around me. I mean, you know, he don't see me there, but I'm there, and he can see that whole ridge. He's just, you know, uh, that's just his natural defense system. He's wise enough to know, I hear you yelping up there, but I can see all the way up this ridge, you know. So what I want to do is I want to get in a situation where he's got to come very close to, to striking range in order to see what he's hearing. And, you know, it's cat and mouse like that. And then in the other scenario where maybe it's a situation where he's hung up with a group of hens, that's a really hard one. It's the one that turkey hunters never really figure out in their whole career. Sometimes things work, sometimes things don't. But basically, I would say probably the number one thing that you want to try to do there is to kind of change your tactic and call to the hen and try to call the hen to you because he's going to follow them. And um, that's a hard thing to really explain, but, you know, you want to try to get that boss hen fired up and irritate, aggravate her. And you that's one tactic is to aggravate her. The other tactic would be to be that Jenny hen that's just kind of a lost, non-intimidating hen because hens are territorial too. You want to be that lost kind of non-intimidating hen where the hen's for lack of a better word, kind of feel sorry for you and just come over there and let you gather up with their harem, you know? Um, but the problem with that is you don't know which scenario you're in until you get into it, right? Mm -hmm. You don't know which one's going to work. You might try to irritate that boss in and it have the exact opposite effect. And she's like, I ain't having this. And she leaves with the gobbler. I would say that happens to most people, to the person that's listening and says, well, you know, I tried that. And the next thing I know, he gobbles and he's 200 yards away and they just keep going the other way. Well, that happens a lot. Inspirational. And they want the gobblers just like the gobblers want them. And when another hen comes into their range, a lot of times they'll take the high road and just take him away, you know. 
Um, a lot of times that takes precedence over everything else and they're just not going to be interested. And when that happens, I, I think that it's kind of a hard thing to hear. Uh, but I think you got to slow down and you got to be patient. You got to hope that you can soft talk them into range. And if you can't, you got to try to learn everything you can and set up differently the next time, because chances are if nobody else is coming in there and bothering that Turkey, he's going to be in there with his hens on multiple occasions, you'll be able to get in there with him. Maybe you kind of understand a little bit more about how they travel, where they go, what they do. Um, I don't want to use the word pattern them, but maybe learn a little bit more. Maybe you were on uh, a, a other side of that food plot than where they commonly go. And, you know, maybe they use a certain ridge or they travel a certain way and you can kind of go in there the next day or the next hunt with the idea that, Hey, I'm competing with these hens and I'm not going to be able to set up on the fringe and just call him away from them. I need to try to figure out a way to kind of get more in their path so that when I'm calling to them, I've, I'm more already in their path and they still might go the other way, but you might get yourself in a situation where you can coax that hen into becoming curious about you for whatever reason instead of giving her an easy out of saying, well, I don't really want to go over there anyway. So I'm just going to take him and go on about my way. And then I ain't going to worry about her anymore. I was going to say, well, I was just going to say another uh, strategy that I know a lot of people employ with that, with a hung up bird, especially say they're out in the field with a bunch of hens is they just let it play out. And mm -hmm. eventually the hens kind of leave the gobbler, move on their way. And then you kind of get set back up, back up in there. And then you have a better shot of calling that uh, Tom in yeah, a little bit later I, on in the morning. Yeah, that's a very common um, successful strategy, one that, I, that I'm glad you said because it's it's one that I probably should have mentioned in that. It it's, depends on what point in the season you're in. If it's early enough in the season and those hens really aren't sitting to be bred and or, or they haven't been bred, they're not going to a nest or trying to lay, he may stay with them all day. And then there's really nothing you can do. But if you do get to the point in the season where he's actually breeding and they're leaving him at some point, then you're right. If you'll be patient and not try to be overly aggressive and just stay with them and don't overcall at them. So you push them way the heck off. And you're right. When that bird frees up, he's probably going to come right to you, you know, but you do, you got to understand where you're at in, in, in the season in that regard. And, um, kind of know whether or not those hens are actually leaving him because they they're not going to just automatically do that from day one you know there's going to be a period of time where there's a humongous you know referring back to what we were talking about in the first part of the conversation there's a long period of time where these birds have a very extravagant long lasting courtship phase where there's no actual breeding going on and during that time he doesn't really leave them you know he stays with them all day and then as they start to breed, then they go down, they breed, they'll breed a lot. You know, they'll breed multiple times over multiple days and they'll get to a point where he'll fly down, he'll get with them in the morning, they'll do their thing, he'll breed them and they'll go off and try to lay a nest. And they'll do that over and over until they actually successfully lay a nest and then they'll, they'll stick to that nest. So, um, yeah, that's a good point, Chase. I mean, that's a, a strategy that's probably going to be mid to late season for most people, but it's, it's, a, it's a deadly one. You could actually, even if you, you know, turkeys are, we all know how well they can see 
and we all know that it's it, it's pretty easy to spook turkeys if you move around too much um, and i mean move around by like just a lot of times just moving through the woods you know they see you before you see them most of the time so yeah i i personally there's a lot of times where if i know a place and i know it really well and i go in there in the morning and i know that that bird's not roosted in a place that i'm in a good spot and i just i'm not going to be able to do much with him i know there's hens in the area i know that where he flew up is just not very advantageous to me. I'll go try to find another turkey at daylight, and I'll come back middle of the morning and just check on him. You know, I'll just come in there and start yelping. And he's probably going to be around there somewhere, especially if nobody's messed with him all morning. Um, so you could actually kind of play the odds a little bit of saying, you know what, I'm not going to take the risk of basically getting too close and bumping them before they break up. I'm just going to let them do their thing, and I'll come back over here. I've killed a bunch of turkeys that way. Where I've went in at daylight, I've listened to a turkey, called to him a few times, realized pretty quick before he flew down that this wasn't a good scenario, that it was a very low, low odd situation that I was going to get him in gun range. So I just left and went somewhere else and came back 10, 11 o'clock and slipped in there, started yelping. He gobbles and within a minute, he's dead. Hmm. Takes a lot of willpower to do that, though. <laughs> when the turkey's up there screaming at you, you know, you go in there you're going to have the little devil on one shoulder and the angel on the other shoulder. And it's going to be an intense battle because you're going to walk in there and that turkey's going to be gobbling and he's going to be ready to go. And you're going to call at him and he's going to answer. He's going to gobble at every sound he hears because he's fired up and those hens are in there with him and he's ready to, he's ready to do it. You know, he fly down, he's ready to do his thing and he's fired up. And you know, that the natural, I guess, response that you're going to have as a hunter is excitement right i mean you're going to be excited and think oh he's fired up man i'm gonna call him right in but nature's taking care of itself there and he's he probably in that scenario has a totally different thing on his mind he's thinking you're not calling me in i'm calling you over here that's why i'm being so vocal so um yeah that's a that's a that's one good way you can go about uh, uh, dealing with hens. There's not a really good way to deal with hens. You just got to be patient. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the most frustrating situations I've ever dealt with that took a lot of patience and I, I ended up screwing it up this past year was there was a gobbler. There was like a strip of timber between me and a swamp bottom. And then the swamp bottom is wide open and he would work up and down that bottom parallel to me as I would work up there um, back and forth, mm-hmm. trying to get him to come out of there. And I tried to creep back in that bottom um, and I ended up just like screwing the pooch because he, he must've heard or saw, uh, noise. And, and the very next day I came back and the same thing was happening. And I just sat there quietly and the hens worked up out of that swamp across the road I was on. And he came behind him about, you know, 30 seconds later. And in hindsight, I should have probably just waited because I knew he was down there with hens and he wasn't leaving what he could see for something he couldn't. That's for sure. Yeah. 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 That's, uh, the frustrating thing about about turkey hunting and i guess it's with all hunting but turkey hunting i I think one of the things that makes turkey hunting so addictive when you get into it is the chase Mm -hmm. you know deer hunting can be really defined there's a lot of strategy and a lot of things that we do as deer hunters and we can we can tag a lot of that to our success but no matter what you do there's hours and hours and hours of boredom and unknown for a few moments of extreme excitement when that deer actually finally shows up 
you know, with turkey hunting, if you're able to get on a turkey, there's not a lot of that. There's a lot of feedback. There's a lot of almost like war game going on and it keeps you constantly stimulated and it keeps you constantly involved. And the challenge of that is trying to figure out like, when am I, when am I, when is my excitement producing bad decisions? <laughs> and when am I, you know, when, it, when yeah. am I so excited that I'm going too hard and I'm not making a really a logical decision here? I'm, I'm going off of pure excitement. Yeah. It's it's tough because you don't want to become too logical. I was talking to a buddy of mine the other day, and I sent him a, a video clip of me getting really amped after I shot that last deer. And he's like, man, I wish I could feel that way. I'm like, what do you mean? And he's like, gets so focused on things, sometimes the high is gone. And it's like, I don't want to get so logical that it just becomes like cutthroat, per se. Yeah. You know? Well, I think it's very simple with turkey hunting. It's a pretty simple uh interaction and a pretty simple definition of what's going on in that you're in the woods you're in that environment so you're already stimulated to the point that hey i'm here it's a beautiful morning you know whatever i know the birds are here and then when you get that response it's just just it's 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 too exciting to sit back and and consider the possibilities of okay well maybe this is going on, maybe that's going on. And, and, and so you're just like keyed up because everything you do, you're getting that feedback and you're like, okay, well the next call I make is going to be the one that breaks him. Right. You know, the next time he makes a pass, he's strutting up and down this ridge. Well, the next time he's going to come just a little bit further. And you, you know, you're, you're just so keyed in on the fact that he's responding to you that, that's it's a tunnel vision thing between you and him and and you don't take the time always to sit back and look at the whole situation and realize okay he's obviously not coming over here and what's the reason i I think that it's it's hard to break the mentality in the moment and think about it like that it's a lot easier to sit back and go okay, well, he's responding to everything I'm doing. So let me just ramp it up a little bit. Let me just do this. Let me just do that. It's all, you know, it's, it's almost like this, um, human instinct that we have with adrenaline and excitement where it's just like, okay, I just need to do one more thing, one more thing. And and often it's a bigger picture than that because that Turkey's in his environment and he does this every day. This is just the one morning that you happen to be there and experience his world. And for you, it's totally different than it is for him. You know, so uh, I, it's it's hard. It's 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 a it's and I find myself even as someone who's been fortunate enough to even as someone who's been turkey hunting since I was young and been able to have a lot of experiences to lean on. It usually takes several moments in a hunt for me to stop or something that happens that triggers that kind of realization that, hey, I got to I need to stop for a second. Like I'm going too hard right now. And I'm not seeing things for what they really are, and I'm just wasting my time just kind of doing the whole – doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result kind of thing. And I need to actually step back because, like I said, you get caught up in it. You get caught up in it. it, it, it going back to my point about the turkey in the middle of the day, it's really hard to walk in on a bird at daylight that's really, really gobbling and have the wherewithal to say, hey, I've been here before. I've been hunting this place for a couple of weeks, and I – and as much as I hate to admit it, I'm not going to be able to kill that bird in that location right there. You know, I'm going to have to leave that turkey and go somewhere else because 
because statistically I'm me much, much, much better off letting him get out of that area and into another area where he's actually workable. Takes a lot of, takes a lot of patience. <laughs> Have you gotten to the point in your turkey hunting career that, uh, you just watch a bird at the, at the, the decoy and never pull the trigger? I've done it before. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I can't, I'm not going to go as far as to say I've gotten to any point in my career because I really think that in a, in a, in a very big, big picture way or like a holistic way, if I ever got completely to that point that I would, you know, that would be kind of that, that moment where you say like, why are we doing this? We sure. don't get excited anymore kind of sure. thing. I, I I don't know how to define that exactly, but, but I have been in a situation where, um, I've let a turkey walk away because I knew it was a two-year-old and I knew there was a bigger time in there. And I knew that I only wanted to take one bird off of that place. Um, I've been in a situation too, where I've, I have, I, I did this last year. Okay. <laughs> this, this is a, I'm glad you asked that because it, it, it enables me to tell a tale. Y'all chasing tales. <laughs> You've enabled me to tell a story from last year. And I walked out of the woods that evening going, wow, I can't believe I did that. You know? So I, I mentioned earlier that it was kind of a year last year because I was hunting limited properties and couldn't really travel and do all the hunting that I wanted. So this one property, we didn't have a lot of birds on it last year. It was only a couple on there throughout the year. And later in the season, I went in there. I hadn't been there in a couple of weeks. And I went in there and I found a bunch of fresh sign where a bird had really been in there working hard. And I kind of had an idea just from hunting this property for many years. Kind of had an idea that time of the year there would probably be a turkey in this kind this area on the back side of the property. And, and the sign I was seeing kind of led itself to that. So as I'm walking back to that area, I have to cross a big field, and it's about a 50 or 60-acre block, a real big, pretty hardwood timber on the back side of this big field. And there were lots of tracks going down the road, across the field, back to that area. As I got to the back of the field, before I ever made a call, this is 4 o'clock in the afternoon, 3 or 4 o'clock in the afternoon, as I walked into the timber, I stopped because there was a big fresh gobbler track right in a, in a wet, muddy little mud hole area in the edge of the woods. As I stopped, I'm looking at that track, the turkey gobbles, and he's like 100 yards from me. I never made a sound, never made a call. I mean, he let me know he was there without me having to do anything, and I thought, well, wow, you know. Mm -hmm. So I slipped up into there, and this was a situation where I was at my camp. So I had I had a couple of days to hunt. I had driven up there in the middle of the day and decided to just go walk around, look around, see if I could roost a bird. I wasn't really in a hunting mode. You know what I'm saying? I was kind of like, I want to see if to see any sign, any fresh tracks. I hear any birds good on the roost this afternoon. And I'm looking forward to hunting the next day is basically what this is, you know, coming down to. Because I'm there to, I'm going to get to hunt a couple of days. So I, the turkey gobbles, and I'm like, whoa. So immediately, I'm like, you know, immediately I get all excited. So I slip up into there. He's in a good spot. I know where he's at. I know this whole place very well. I set up. I don't make a sound. I just get set up. I get probably within 60 or 70 yards. And this is later in the season, so it's really green. I'm able to really get in there tight. I get sat down, and, I let, and he gobbles a few more times during all this. I know right where he's at. I get set up, and I'll wait five six seven maybe minutes i don't know exactly and i just 
was awfully, and I mean, he cut me off immediately. I mean, he's fired up and ready to go. So I sit there and I called him a few times and he gobbles and he's coming. Like, it's just a matter of time. And he got to about 60 yards and I could basically hear him dragging his wings and I knew where he was. And I just, I stopped calling because I made my mind up. I'm not going to call this birdie and I don't want to shoot him. I'm going to sit here and wait till he flies up in a tree and roost and I'm going to come back and kill him in the morning because I wanted to hunt. I didn't want my hunt to be over. And I knew there wasn't enough birds on this property for me to come back and hunt the next morning. If I shot him now, here I am. I've already driven all the way up here to the camp and I've got nothing to do for the next two days. And this is the only turkey that I'm going to shoot. And so I just quit calling to him and he stayed at about 50 or 60 yards back and forth gobbling for two hours. And then he flew up in a tree 60 yards from me, and I watched him roost, and it got pitch black dark. I got up and left. And if all I had to do was turn and cluck at him a few times, then he'd have been dead. I mean, he's just trying to find me. He was walking all around me looking for me, gobbling. <laughs> and I just I just stopped calling. I called to him four or five times. He closed the distance, and then I just shut up. And um, I told myself several times, if he just happens to meander his way straight in front of this gun barrel i'll have a decision to make but i'm not gonna keep calling at him because if i call at him anymore he's gonna find me and he's gonna come over here and um i don't really want to shoot him so i let him go and long story short i came the next <laughs> next morning and he was right there and he flew down and went the other way and i didn't kill him <laughs> <laughs> you know yep a roosted bird I learned last year, Chase, you probably have learned this yourself. I'm 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 the new guy here, right? So everything seems like it's uh, you know this huge epiphany. I learned last year a roosted bird is not a dead bird. Not at all. I mean, I thought I had I thought I'd struck gold when I roosted a bird three different times and then I found a way to screw it up every time. So you know, let me expand upon that story and kind of refer back to what Chase offered just a minute ago, because it's an exact picture of what happened. What happened was that bird, it was late in the season. And at that moment, that afternoon, he was all by himself. He knew he was going to roost back in there. He knew his hens were going to come back and roost in there. But in that moment, his hens were off nesting somewhere. He was by himself. And so he was killable, very, very killable. But the next morning, as I sat there, I heard his hens come back in there, and I heard them roost. They roosted, you know, right in there with him within 100 yards of me. And the next morning... It was a totally different game. I mean, he gobbled, and he came close. I mean, I got him within like 40 yards. I just couldn't get a clear shot at him. But he came within 40 yards because he was trying to get me to follow him because his hens flew down and were going back to wherever they were going to nest. He was going with them. And so, you know, I didn't have the morning the, – I didn't have the morning to, to, to verify this, this whole thing. But basically what Chase said is what happened. I came in mid, mid in this case, mid-afternoon, but I came in there when the turkey was by himself and the hens had already left him, and he was a totally different animal. You know, and the next morning, he was staged up in there gobbling, hoping to get, you know, get some action late, but he was up in there because he knew that's where the hens were coming to roost, and they did, and the next morning, he flew down, got with his hens. He gave me a little bit of time. He gave me a chance to kill him. I just couldn't get a clear shot. And he made his way off the hens. So that's you know, just a really, really, a really good picture of of how that dynamic works. But to your previous question, I guess that's one of those situations where I, I can't say that like it's to this point where I'm just so curious about it that I call a turkey up and not shoot him at all. But I, I I'm not I'm not bloodthirsty these days. I, I guess to put it that way. Well, 
I'd rather I'd rather have turkeys to hunt than kill a bunch of them. You know, I'd rather <laughs> Yeah. I'd rather hear hear birds and, and be able to hunt birds and all that than to just kill one everywhere I go constantly on the search for more turkeys because you know, I, I just I, I don't know, I just uh there's just something about I mean that's what's so that's what's so amazing and to me so intoxicating about turkey hunting is the interaction you know if turkey hunting was anything more like like deer hunting for example i guess is the the best parallel for most people i just don't know that i would do it you know because mm-hmm. I, I don't i don't you know i i the a deer, deer hunting the, the sit and wait and the strategy and all i mean there's something to it and i'm a die hard bow hunter i love to hunt big bucks with my bow and you know i I get all into that too, but when it comes to turkeys, what's so intoxicating about it is just that, that cat and mouse game that, you know, I, I parallel to like war strategy, you know, uh, trying to figure him out and trying to get in the right place and trying to fool him. And, and I've, you know, I, I, I'm at that point in my life as a turkey hunter where I can go, if I could go hunting every morning of turkey season and be on a turkey and experience that game and play that game with him, I could kill one turkey a year and be completely satisfied. You know, maybe not even kill a turkey, just have a lot of really good experiences and be satisfied. You know, it hasn't always been that way, but I, I don't I don't feel the need to fill a certain number of tags or to kill a certain number of turkeys in order to feel like it was a success. But it is, you know, it's getting to that point where I am I do feel a lot of uh a lot of negativity around the idea of spending a lot more days than I ever have before just trying to find a turkey that'll gobble. You know, just because of of the a lot of the, the the situations that we've talked about, and with with the population decline, so uh, that's where my focus is. Yeah, man. Well, I think we could probably talk for years about turkeys. In fact, I'm confident we could talk for for years about turkeys, and and hopefully we can have you back on one day. I'd like to hunt with you, man. Once this COVID thing calms down and the vaccinations are a little more of a of a thing, I'm hoping life can go back to being normal. It's you know, wife being pregnant has has changed uh, a lot of things for us, and so uh, I, I was looking forward to it this spring. But maybe, maybe, may, I mean, there's still a chance for this spring. But at the very least, we got to get up at some point here soon. So, um, yeah, I hope so. I hope to do that. I, I haven't turkey hunted. I've turkey hunted in Florida several times, um, trying to kill that Osceola and, and all that kind of stuff. But I've never turkey hunted in Georgia, and I haven't turkey hunted any in the Panhandle. So you are in an area of the world that I, I want to have more experiences on. So I, I definitely hope that'll, that'll play out one day. And, and for everybody's sake, I hope we're all able to shake loose of this rut that we're in because yep, yeah, it ain't, it ain't good for nothing. No, no. And I, I really thought it'd be over by now, but it is what it is. So, you know, we'll, yep. we'll take it for what it is. And, and, and by very soon I'll well, I'm not going to say that. I was going to say I have, I'll have figured out this area and it'll be worth your time, but <laughs> right about the time I probably feel like I've got it figured out, it'll uh, change, you know. But, well, uh, I know people that are listening probably, they may or may not know, I'm, I'm the co-host of the Louisiana Bowhunter Podcast, and one of the common things that we say on that podcast is we don't ever get good at bow hunting. We're just trying to get less bad at it. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and and that's honestly how I feel about turkey hunting, even as someone that, is you know just that hard about it and have been privileged enough to be able to turkey on a lot of good places for a lot of years i still feel like i'm just trying to get less bad <laughs> i'm trying to have enough wherewithal to 
learn a few things and identify certain situations maybe more quickly than I did when I was a younger hunter. But I don't, I don't know that, um, I don't know how good you ever get at it. Um, I think, you know, the luck that's associated with it probably has a lot more to do with just, uh, preparation and, and some level of skill, uh, combining to create luck. But outside of that, I don't know that you ever really figure it out. You just, (laughs) you just become a better steward, so to speak. That's right. That's right. Well, tell, tell everybody you got Strutcast. You got a couple other platforms. Tell them where they can find you, man. Yeah, so I'm the uh, I'm I'm one of and, and probably the primary content creator for whitetail and turkeys for Scree Gear. And I know your listeners are familiar with Scree because you and Chase have been using our product. So um, you can find a lot of my turkey if you want to see some stuff. Uh, most all of the spring turkey stuff with Scree is. Is stuff that I've done, and then I have the Strutcast podcast in the spring that I'm I'm trying to develop the plan for how that's going to go this spring. So you can look up Strutcast on and uh, the Louisiana Bowhunter uh, podcast, the Louisiana Bowhunter organization. I'm a big part of that. So uh, that's just some of the common places. But I, I'm I'm the owner and operator of Life and Focus Media, so you'll find you'll find me around on social media and YouTube and different places doing different things. So uh, if you're bored. You can, you can probably find me out there somewhere. <laughs> well, I appreciate you. We appreciate you taking time out your evening, man. And hopefully we can have you back on to talk about how you traveled all over the globe this spring and everything opened up and you were able to get after it, buddy. But uh, until next time, guys, no matter what you do, get outside and enjoy the great outdoors. A life that has the stories to back it. A life to be proud of. It's a Winchester life. Yeah, baby. 6-8 Western. Oh, I'm old there, baby. Right there. Tune in every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. You're listening to the Waypoint Podcast Network, brought to you in part by HuntStand, the number one hunting and land management app.